0: Thank you, Jeff. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. Special greeting to any guests and visitors that we have joining us today. I understand uh, that one of our own from the past is here today, Janice Campbell Goody is here. Is that right? Janice, there she is. Welcome, Janice. Good to have you back for a visit. Hope all is going well. Looking forward to getting caught up with you on that. Well, we, before we launch into Christmas, of course, next week with the beginning of the Advent season, we turn the page and we begin to have that most wonderful of all celebrations, the celebration of Christmas. Um, my favorite time of year, I love the season of Christmas, and we have a lot planned at Forestbrook, a lot that helps us to really celebrate that, to invite our family and friends and our neighbors all together to celebrate the arrival of hope and, uh, and the good news of Jesus coming to live among us. We're going to be celebrating all about that. But before we do that. We want to wrap up the series that we have been in this fall. About living a life of love like Jesus. Uh, this series came from our passage last spring. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Where we, where we were wrapping up our study of the book of Ephesians. And when we came to this passage. Uh, we talked about the fact that. What this passage tells us. Is that the ultimate goal of discipleship is that you and I, as followers of Jesus, would become imitators of God. As beloved children, that we would walk in love as Christ also loved and gave himself up on our behalf as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we've been spending the last 11 weeks looking at how Jesus loved and challenging ourselves and encouraging and urging ourselves to become imitators of him in all of the ways that he loved. How did Jesus walk? How did he love the Father and love others. Uh, We talked about how he lived out his identity as God's Son. He knew who he was and he lived out of that sense of identity. He relied upon and was fully led by the Holy Spirit. Um, He led with grace in all of his interactions with people. He didn't come to condemn or to judge, he came to save and uh, that was how he interacted with everyone. He saw people. He saw people. He, He paid attention to them. I love Jim's description of the crowd, that when when he looked at the crowd, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as lost. And, And that then prompted him to be moved with compassion towards those who were trapped by sin or suffering or circumstances in life. That his response to those individuals was one of compassion. And that he served. He served others rather than coming to be served himself. He gave himself away. In service to others this is how he lived this is how he loved and this is how you and I as his followers are called to live and love as well but there is more to it than that as we see in this passage there is an ultimate expression of love Jesus says no greater love has anyone than you lay down your life for your friends the ultimate expression of love is always sacrifice Sacrifice. And Jesus did that. We see this in his passage. The imitators of God as beloved children walk in love as Christ also loved us. And how did he love us? He gave himself up on our behalf as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He sacrificed himself as a demonstration, as an act, as a fulfillment of the love that he had for all of us. What did Jesus accomplish by sacrificing himself? I love this passage in the first chapter of Revelation uh, that talks about, you know, John now writing at the end of the New Testament, years and years and years later, kind of summing everything up. And and just before he gets into the vision he's been given for the churches, he says this, he says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us to be a kingdom. Priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What did he do for us when he sacrificed himself? He took our sins away by his blood. But he did more than that. He did more than just take our sins away. He took our sins away for a reason. He took our sins away for a purpose. And that was so that we could become his kingdom. So that we could become the kingdom of God on earth now. And as part of that kingdom, that we would be priests serving God. Serving God. He came to take away our sins so that we could live a life of service to God. Jesus, when he gave the bread and the wine for communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And it is a fulsome remembrance. It isn't just a remembrance of him dying on the cross for our sins and taking by his blood, removing our sins. That's half the story. The other half is what he has saved us for and what he has given to us in exchange. I'll invite the ushers to come forward because we're going to celebrate communion uh, in just a second. We don't just remember what Jesus did for us. We receive it. When we take communion. John Stott in his book. The Cross of Christ says. That we don't take communion. It's not something that we take. It's something that we receive. Jesus took the emblems. He took the bread. He took the wine. Right. And after giving thanks. He offered it. And he gave it. He said take it. All of you. Take it and eat it. Take it and drink it. He offered it. He gave it to us. He gave it to his followers. And the offer is for you and I. To receive it. To receive it. It's His offering for you. It's His offering for me. He said, you know, nobody's making me do this. Nobody's making me lay down my life. I do it because I love you. And I want you to be free. I want you to be part of my kingdom. And I want you to live a life of service to God our Father. And I willingly and happily lay down my life so that can happen. And in order for you to remember this and remember who you are and remember what I've done for you, I give you this bread, and I break it, and I give thanks, and I offer it to you, and I say, take it. Receive it, all of you. This is my body, broken for you. And then I take the cup, and after I've given thanks, I give it to you, and I say, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so today, as we take communion together, I want to encourage you to receive it rather than take it. So the way we're going to do that is the ushers will start us off. And when when they pass the tray to the first person, the bread, they'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. And then I want you to receive it. And after you've taken the bread and taken the plate, you turn and pass it to the next person. Repeat that. Say the body of Christ broken for you so that they can receive it. So rather than them taking it from you, you give it to them and let them receive it from you. And then you take that bread and you take the plate and you pass it to the next person, the body of Christ broken for you. And likewise with the cup. When the cup comes around, we'll do the same thing. The blood of Christ shed for you. And then offer it to the person beside you. Let them receive it as you give it to them, just as Jesus gives it to us. Let's receive the sacrifice of Jesus today as we celebrate communion. Let's pray. Father, um, Your Word says, you know, that um, even though Jesus was killed on a cross by Romans at the behest of the Jewish leadership that wanted Him dead, that none of this was done apart from Your plan and purpose. That you, Lord, had ordained from the very beginning that this would be how you would make atonement for the sins of humanity. That your very Son would give His life a ransom for all of us. What the devil chose to, or thought he was doing for wickedness and for his evil purposes, Lord, you redeemed and turned for good. And that's so much the way you do things. And so as as we receive this, celebration of communion today. We do it with thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, this is an expression of your love, that you loved us enough to do this, that you removed our sins from us by your blood, that you set us free, you placed us in your kingdom, and you've called us to a new life of service. And all of that is part of what we're doing. You made it all possible. So as we, as we receive together the bread and the cup today. Would you bless these things, Lord? Holy Spirit, would you minister the love of Jesus to us as we celebrate together this communion today? May our hearts be filled with thanksgiving as we receive the gracious offering of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful to receive all that you have done and given to us. As your servant Peter wrote, we have received everything that we need to live the life that you have called us to live. We thank you for your patience, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your presence, not just here with us now, but always. Whether we are aware of you or not, you never leave us nor forsake us. And your desire is that we would know your nearness, your love and your favor every moment of every day. That we would be so filled with the love that you have for us that it would pour out of us into the lives of others. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts, as Paul wrote in Romans. Father, we we want that too, and we ask for that. We present ourselves before you today, and we humbly come before you. We confess all of the ways and times that we fall short of the glorious inheritance that we have. For the world that suffers all around us, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, that is untouched by your love because we, we don't share it. Forgive us for that. Stir within us the greater love that you have. Help us to live more like Jesus. For this, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need you to be in us and living through us and powering uh, through us everything that we cannot do for ourselves. We are weak and frail and feeble. But with you, Lord, with you, Holy Spirit, all things are possible. And the greater things that Jesus said his church would do, we can do because of you. So we ask to be filled with you. We ask you to come. We ask you to minister. We ask you to speak to us, to fill us, to move us, to inspire us, to do all that you need to do to continue the work of sanctification and transformation in our lives. We want to be like Jesus. And we know that this pleases you. And so we pray for your will to be done. Father in heaven, I surrender the words that I'm about to speak, the words that you've helped me to prepare. I surrender them to you and ask that you, Lord, would purge them so that only that which you want to be shared with your people would come out of my mouth. I ask for your blessing, Lord, not just upon what I speak, but on how it is heard. Holy Spirit, be in the hearing. So that as we read from your word together, you, Holy Spirit, cause these words to live within us and to stir within us and to shape us from the inside out. So Lord, I just ask for this, knowing that we need you. If you don't move, we're just people. And we know that you want us to be so much more than that. So we give you ourselves, we give you this time, we give you these words, and ask you to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's an appropriate response for all that God has done for us in Jesus? Well, we don't have to guess. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 these words. He says, Therefore, I urge you all, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I love what he says there. Think about it just for a second. Before he gets to the bit about how you and I are to offer ourselves as sacrifices, he says this. What's the motivation? Why should we do this? Where does it come from? He says, in view of God's mercy. We've just celebrated the remembrance of God's mercy. What is an appropriate response? It's to offer ourselves. To offer ourselves in return. In light of all that God has done for us, an appropriate response is to imitate Jesus and live a life of love that leads to us sacrificing ourselves. Now that can be a hard truth, a hard thing for us to hear, but that's what we're going to talk about today, because that is the ultimate end of discipleship. That is ultimately where it takes us, where it leads us. We know we're getting it. We know we're becoming like Jesus when we start to sacrifice ourselves. Because that's ultimately what he did. What does it mean for us to live lives of love like Jesus, sacrificially? This Ephesians passage that we've been looking at, that we are to imitate God and love like Jesus, who gave himself up for us. Ultimately, his love for us ended up in him sacrificing himself for us. So what does that look like for you and I to love like that? To love sacrificially? Well, John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, talks about five different ways that we sacrifice ourselves that come from Scripture. So we want to look at those and then we talk want to talk at the end about what they all mean so let's just go through them um, as quickly as we can they're all nothing new here there's nothing that's going to be earth-shattering or or no new information or new knowledge but i pray that we'll hear it and and maybe hear it anew uh, and hear it afresh for the first time in a long time perhaps the first thing that he says it is, is, comes from Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We present ourselves to God for service. Therefore, I urge you, everyone, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. A well-known verse. We, we talk about it many, many times. But notice what he says. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, that can mean a lot of things. You can, you can take a lot out of that. And all of these verses that we're going to look at today, all five of these ways that we sacrifice ourselves. Uh, It could be all sermons, all in in themselves. There's so much that is in here. I just, I want to kind of highlight these things and have us thinking about it um, as we wrap up this series of living lives of love like Jesus. But what does he mean by offering our bodies? And in, in the Greek, it actually means, it uses the word soma, to bring your body, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Well, that can be understood in different ways. And commentators, you know, kind of uh, take the high road, and, and not many of them take kind of the kind of the low road or the literal road with it. But you know, obviously, he's referring to the sacrifice of an animal, uh, and as the Old Testament custom custom was, that you brought a an animal to the temple, and, and you took that animal and you laid it on the altar, right? That the the the, the actual you know animal itself was sacrificed. The, the the literal physical animal. This was not a not a kind of a, a symbolic thing. It was a it was a real sacrifice, a real life was given. And so some say that he's talking about that. He's talking about our lives that we bring that we bring our lives. I've often used this verse to, when we talk about, you know, the sins in the body. The things that we do in our, in our flesh, in our body, that, that kind of disrupt and, and pollute the temple of the Holy Spirit that it is. And, and I say it matters what we do with our bodies. It, absolutely it matters what we do with our bodies. Because our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And we present the way we live and we present our bodies as a sacrifice to God. We honor Him with our lives. We honor Him with our bodies. We honor Him with what we do with our bodies because it is His temple. So that's another way that we can look at that and take meaning from that passage. But I think what Paul is doing here is he's kind of he's trying to make this very, very real. He's using the imagery of the sacrifice. But when he says your bodies, and he doesn't say yourselves or your souls or your lives. He says, no, you bring your bodies. Because what I think he's trying to say is, is you bring your whole person. You bring your here and now. You bring your warts and all. You bring, this is me, God. This is me. This is who I am. You know, uh, Take me as I am. Here I am. In the here and now. Right now, this moment, I'm an embodied spirit, aren't I? As a human being, as God's creation, I'm a human being infused with a spirit and also infused with the spirit of God. But I'm still a bodily being. I'm limited. I'm in the here and now. I'm flesh and blood. And it's to bring this part of who I am. It's not this idea of, well, you know, someday I'll do great things for God. It's No, here I am right now, in the here and now. I bring my body, I bring who I am, I bring my person, I bring my whole life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I bring it to you, God, and I lay it down at your feet. What is your will for me? What would you have me do? This moment, this day, this week, this year. How would you have me live? How would you have me honor you in the flesh with my body? We present ourselves, we offer ourselves. That's the other part of this. I love this. He says, In view of God's mercy, present yourselves, offer yourselves, offer yourselves. It's an invitation, it's a request. It's almost a, an urging, you know, when, when we give Christmas gifts and gifts to our children, especially little children, what are we, what are we looking for in return? We, we see the joy in their eyes, and, and, you know, we see the happiness in all of this, and, you know, when we're parents and we're trying to teach our kids thing, we're, we're waiting to hear what? We're waiting to hear a whisper of a thank you, some form of appreciation. Some aspect of gratitude because somehow to us it means something. It means there, there's, there's something that's, you know, kind of understood or expected that, you know, and, and when, that, when that expression of gratitude isn't there, we kind of go, hmm, something's missing. And Jesus, when he healed ten lepers and only one came back to thank him, he noticed the nine who didn't. He goes, hmm, something off there. So what Paul is saying here is in view of God's mercy, right? He nudges us. Respond. Respond. Say thank you. And the way we say thank you is by offering ourselves back to him. And saying, here I am, Lord, in the here and now, warts and all. The next thing that Stott says in his book is that we offer God our praise, worship, and thanksgiving. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And I love this one in Psalm 69, 30, 31. I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. So here's a literal picture of an, a, a sacrifice. We've got an ox, right, a real animal. We've thrown it on the altar and we are you know, we're slaughtering it and we're you know, doing the big offering, the burnt offering. It's going, to be, it's going to be grand. And the psalmist says, you know, that's great. But if you praise God in song, that means more. That means more. It means more to him. The sacrifice of praise, worship, and thanksgiving. Why? What is that? What is that about? Why would we be sacrificing by doing that? Why would that be something that is pleasing to God? This will please the Lord more than the sacrifice of an ox. Well, there's a couple of things to think about here. One is that in God's creation, things come into existence when they are spoken and not just thought. So we can have all of these thoughts about God. We can have all of these feelings about God. We can have all of this stuff that's, that's inside of us. We can have all the best intentions in the world in terms of our relationship with God. But if we never, ever express it, if we never, ever say it, if we never, ever sing it, it doesn't come to life in quite the same way because that's the way God made the world. Things come into existence when they're spoken A spoken word can't be retracted. It can't be taken back. It's spoken around others. And even if you speak in the the quiet of your own room, the heavens are listening. And so our praise, our thanksgiving is a testimony, not just to God, but it's a testimony to all of those around us and it's a testament to the heavenly realm. It's a testimony to the demons and the angels who are listening and watching and wondering about the mercies of God and the greatness of God that these obnoxious human beings who do nothing but thumb their noses in his face, he still loves and gave his son for and then they turn around and praise him. And that so confounds them. It brings the angels joy and it makes the demons tremble. But if we never open our mouths, they don't know it. Only you and the Father knows it. And we can say, well, God knows my heart. You know, I don't need to to sing. I don't need to praise. I don't need to confess. I don't need to speak. I can just stand here And my lips don't even have to move. And God knows my heart. And yes, He does. And yes, He does. But there is no sacrifice of praise in that. If you do not speak it, if you do not sing it, if you do not express it, there is no sacrifice of praise. One of the things that that I encourage when we have our worship nights, and I mentioned this to Jeff, I just realized that we come sometimes and we're broken, we're hurting. We can't can't bring ourselves to praise God because we're struggling or whatever. And one of the things that we do in community is we lift one another up in, in, in our praises. We sing for others. We sing for the people in front of us. We sing for the people beside us. We sing for the people behind us. We sing for our community. We express together our love and our praise and our thanksgiving and our adoration for God. so I might not even be singing for myself, I might be singing for you. And in fact, I do. In fact, I do. I raise my hands because I want the Holy Spirit to move in you as well as me. So we offer God our praise, our worship, and our thanksgiving. And that is a sacrifice. And it's pleasing to God. The next thing we do is we pray. We pray. Psalm 141, verse 2. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And in Revelation 8, 3, 4. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. We have these images, we have these pictures of how our prayers are like incense going up before God. And we don't have a, a kind of a, a, a scented service, right? We, I know that we have people who are sensitive to that, and I, and I get all that. But sometimes, you know, I miss that, and I, I think there's, there's something powerful in scent. You know, you, you walk into maybe a, a Roman Catholic church or something, some, you know, and you, see the, you smell the candles, and you, and you smell the place, Right? Some of you may only be smelling the person beside you at this moment. And that's a sacrifice. <laughs> right? And your sacrifice is pleasing to God. <laughs> but our prayers are like are like sweet smelling incense. Are sweet smelling smelling incense. Now, I want to think about that for just a second. John Wesley said that God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And there's a theology around this, and that is that because God has made us in His image, and because He's put us on earth, and because He's given us dominion, and in Matthew chapter 9, there's a very interesting verse, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 8, where Jesus, He's doing all these miracles, He's he's just raised somebody from the dead. And Matthew writes this, he says that all the people were amazed and they praised God that God had given such authority to people. He didn't say that they, that they praised God that, that God had given such authority to Jesus. It's plural, it's, it's men, it's humanity. They praised and gave thanks that God had given such authority to humanity. And I was journaling about that this morning and thinking, you know, what was Matthew trying to say? What was Matthew envisioning? Was Matthew thinking down the road and realizing that the same authority that had been given to Jesus had been given to them and in fact had been given to the church and now they were doing the same wonders and miracles. So it wasn't just Jesus who was out there raising the dead. It was also the apostles. It was also the church. And was that what he was trying to say when he said, you know, God had given such authority to human beings, to his people, to the church, that we have authority just like Jesus. Read it. It's Matthew chapter 9 and verse 8. I checked it in the Greek just to make sure that the translation was accurate. Our prayers are like incense. And because of who we are, when we pray, we can move heaven. We can release the power of heaven through our prayers. In the winter, we're going to be looking at what it means to live a life of faith, of daring faith. Jesus said, you know, if you had just a little bit of faith, you could say to this mountain, get up and move. I can't move a mountain. Most of the people that I pray for for healing aren't even being healed. I still have a long way to go in learning how to live by faith in developing my faith, and developing my faith muscle. I have a long way to go with that, but I am determined to develop that muscle. Because it is by faith that God does things. It is by faith that he moves. It is by faith that the Holy Spirit is released. It is by faith that the powers of, of heaven are released. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus looks at one person he's about to heal, and he says, do you believe I can do this? It's fascinating to look at the life of Jesus and realize how, how he looked for faith and sometimes it wasn't, even his own, it wasn't even the person being healed. He saw the faith of others, the person who was paralyzed. It was the friends who had faith and it says when he saw their faith, he said to the guy, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and walk. It's such a rich, rich body of evidence that we have about faith. But knowing about it is not the same as living it and exercising it. That's a totally different thing. Our prayers, when we came back from Holy Trinity, Brompton, Jim and I, um, a month or so ago in London, England, one of the things that really struck me was their commitment to prayer. That they, under, they undergird everything in prayer, and not just prayer, but persistent prayer. They take their prayer lead from, from Acts chapter 4, where it says they raise their voices to God. Tonight, when we have our annual meeting, I want to take some time for us just to pray and raise our voices to God. This idea of persistent prayer, that we, we are asking God to move, we need God to move. We have so many situations in our congregation where we need God to move or bad things are going to happen. And God is waiting for us to pray. He's waiting for us to pray. It's interesting in that Revelation passage you realize that when those... When those prayers of the saints are offered up with the incense at the throne of heaven, the next thing that happens is is the earth just begins to shake and rumble and roar as the power of heaven is released on the earth. I am committed to us becoming a praying church and a church that prays persistently. That's one of our sacrifices. A couple more. Another one is that we meet the needs of others. We meet the needs of others. Philippians 4:18, "I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Apaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And Hebrews 13:18, "Don't forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Giving and meeting the needs of others is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. Giving doesn't flow out of our abundance or our excess, it flows out of our compassion. When we give like Jesus, we don't give out of what we've got. We give out of our hearts. We give out of our compassion. We give out of how we are moved by the Holy Spirit to give. King David when he was building the temple and collecting all the things you'll know this story very very well, he was collecting and making this huge collection of offering for the temple. And the people were saying to him, no, no, you don't need to do that. You're the king. You don't need to do that. You've got all the wealth of the nation. Let's use the wealth of the nation to build the temple. And David said this. He said, I will not make an offering to my God that costs me nothing. I will not make an offering to my God that costs me nothing. Giving is sacrificial. Giving is a sacrifice. Whether you're giving to someone who has a need, or whether you're giving to support the work of God in the church, or whether you're giving to some uh, agency that's doing good works in the world, giving is a sacrifice. When we give out of our abundance and out of our excess, and it costs us nothing, we have not sacrificed. It's not a sacrifice. But this is one of the ways that we sacrifice. And notice what it says, They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The widow at the temple treasury who put in her last two cents was the one that drew Jesus' praise. More than all the others who threw in out of their abundance and excess. Jesus didn't see the sacrifice in them. He saw it in her. He saw it in her. And the last way that John Stott talks about is by sharing the gospel, by presenting the gospel to others. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. This is Philippians 2, 16, 17. But even as I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in Romans 15, 15, 16, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Sharing the gospel can be really intimidating. Sharing the good news can be something that we just find really, really hard to do. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of losing friendships. We're afraid of all kinds of things. What's the common denominator in that? And I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. The common denominator is fear. And what does the scripture say? There is no fear in love. What's missing when I'm afraid is love. Love. I don't love enough to share the gospel. I don't love enough to be concerned about my neighbor's and what's going on in my neighbor's life. I don't love enough to want others to have the good life and the best life that God has in store for them. And so I give in to fear. I don't overcome the fear. And so I don't have that sacrifice to be able to actually invite someone to Alpha or invite someone to come to you know, our Christmas programs or to invite someone to come to church or invite someone into your home. Whatever. But to actually reach out and, and, and prayerfully listen to what, how God is working in someone's life and then speak forth the words of life to that person. That is a sacrifice. And it's pleasing to God. Paul set the example of actually being poured out. He just so dedicated himself to this, he was poured out to this. You don't have to be in vocational ministry for this to happen. We just have to realize that the kingdom of God is good news. It's here now. You have people in your your communities who are sick and suffering. What if the kingdom of God were to come upon them and they were to receive healing? people who are hurting, people who are alone, people who are broken, we're surrounded by them. And they need the words of life and the touch and the power of the kingdom of God to come near. And when we do that, we're sacrificing. The kingdom is welcomed as we advance it to those around us. You know, Jesus was laughed at. He was accused of being out of his mind, he was accused of being empowered by the devil. This wasn't easy for Jesus either. Jesus had his opposition, didn't he? But Jesus knew why he was here and he knew what he was to do and he set about doing it and he didn't let fear get in the way of him doing it, even when he was abandoned and he was the only one left doing it. He never stopped. Put, our, put yourself out there. The good news is still good news. It still changes people's lives. Let's summarize these just quickly before we move on to talk about what do we do with all of this. Sacrifice is our reasonable re- response. In view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves ourselves sacrificially to God. We offer ourselves for service. We offer God our praise and our thanksgiving. We offer God our prayers. We offer to meet the needs of others, and we offer the gospel to the world. Here's what John Stott says about this. He says, these are true spiritual sacrifices because they belong to the gospel and not the law, and are thankful responses to God's grace in Christ. They are good thoughts, good works, Good deeds, good words, all of them issuing from the heart. We don't do these things because we're commanded to. We don't do these things because we're afraid of what happens if we don't. We do them because it's our offering. They come from our heart. We say, yes, Lord, yes, you are worthy. You are worthy of all of these things. I will live my life this way. In view of what you have done for me, in view of your mercy toward me, in view of your sacrifice to me, but not just your sacrifice, you've given me a new life. You've put me in your kingdom. Yes, now I will live my life as a priest and serve you. This is our offering. It's not our obligation, it's not our, our command, it's our offering. It's what we choose to do in response to God. As I thought a lot about how to wrap this up and how to end this series, my great concern is that we will hear these, you know, this message, and next week we'll be into Christmas, and, and you know, we're going we're gonna to miss the thing that we started with this. When we started this series in September, I said, it's not enough for you and I to, to learn how Jesus loved And be able to now better after 11 weeks to be able to articulate and say, yeah, Jesus was compassionate. Yeah, Jesus was grace-filled. Yeah, Jesus sacrificed himself. Yeah, Jesus, you know, was led by the Holy Spirit. It's not enough for you and I to come away from these 12 weeks and say that's what we take from this. This was about you and I becoming more like that ourselves. The takeaway from this series is that you and I are called to be imitators of God and live lives of love like Jesus. Everything that we've said about Jesus is what you and I are meant to embrace and live out ourselves. That's the takeaway. How are you doing? How am I doing? This passage in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 is where Peter and John were, you know, now after Pentecost, carrying on the ministry of Jesus, and they were healing, and they were preaching, and they were doing all these great things. And the people who were watching all of this, the, 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 the Jews around them, they were astounded. And they said, who are these guys? They're just ordinary folk. They're not educated or schooled. They don't have anything. There's nothing special about them. The only thing that we know about them is that they'd been with Jesus. That's what made them special. They'd been with Jesus, and Jesus was shining through them in all that they did. What made these ordinary people extraordinary? They'd been with Jesus, and now they were following in his footsteps, and they were living lives of love like him. And the work that Jesus began was continuing on earth through them, just as it is intended to continue on earth today through us. We call this series extraordinary because when we think of what it is to live a life like Jesus, Jesus' life was an extraordinary one a life of wild faith and daring hope and love like Jesus. What makes for an extraordinary life? It is embracing the life that we've been called to. It's embracing the life that God has has called us for. It's embracing the life that Jesus laid down his life so that you and I could have. He's not trying to remake the old you, He's not trying to make a better old you. He's making a new you. The old is gone. The old you, when we're in Jesus, that old you, he's gone. She's gone. He's about making a new you and giving you a new life. But everywhere, we need to remember that that is not something that God will do to us. It is something he does with us. You and I can choose how much of that new life we wish to have. I want to give us some time to just think about this for a few minutes. And enough from me. May, may the Holy Spirit speak to us now. Before we turn the page to think about Christmas. What, is the, what has the Holy Spirit said? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you and to me right now about what it is To live a life of love like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 and 27. Jesus says this. He says whoever wants to be my disciple. Do you want to be? Do you want to be Jesus' disciple? He said whoever wants to be my disciple. Do we want to be his disciples? Only you can answer that. We might want the benefit of being disciples. We might, want, we might want, you know, our ticket punched for heaven. We might want, you know, whatever it, is, whatever it is we think are the benefits of that. That's not the question. He doesn't say, do you want the benefits of being my disciple? He says, do you want to be my disciple? If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the life that Jesus died on the cross for you and I to have. This life. Do we want it? Will you and I choose to live extraordinary lives of love like Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, doing the Father's will, changing our world with the gospel, laying down our lives sacrificially for others so that His kingdom may come? I wanted to physically handle this cross because these, these can't just be words for me. This I am telling you, I'm just going on record here. I want that. I choose that. And with God's help, I will live that. And as long as I am called to serve as your pastor, every moment and every day, I will point you to that so that you can live it too. It's up to you. You decide what you want to do with that cross.